The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments or questions. And the number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So it takes courage and integrity to walk an addiction recovery path. And those of us that have come out of the nightmare of substance abuse know there's a lot of work to be done. And we're going to come to know ourselves as the being of light that we truly are. But first, we have to trek through this wreckage of our past. And in order to move into the light, we have to face our shadow side. So today, we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of living with our instincts out of balance and the trouble that that created and then move into the solution of really looking at ourselves and openly sharing our shortcomings with a trusted advisor. And then after the break, we'll talk about how we have been able to move from the darkness to the light by coming into balance, uh, changing the way we show up in the world one day at a time. So instincts out of balance, that's a really um, interesting concept. You know, when I was uh, young young adult, I lived what I thought was the best life that I could. You know, I had these principles, I had these ideas, I had these concepts that I tried to live live by. I know I know them by different names today, but you know, for example, honesty and that kind of thing. And and so um, you know, it was a brand new concept to me that I might be driven by instincts and what are those? And it was a brand new concept that they could be out of balance. You know, I just thought that it was part of being human. And uh, so when I first encountered that language, I thought, I thought this was a list, this inventory taking was a list of how bad I was. Yeah, I, I remember encountering this concept or, or very early on in recovery with the, uh, the literature and the way that it talks about our instincts being instincts being out of balance. And I had a similar reaction to you, and I, and I think it was because 
you know, when when I'm sort of right in the middle of my whole experience, I have very little perspective on what's going on. But the the program literature has a tremendous amount of perspective on what's going on. And so what to me uh, just seemed like kind of how it was, you know, sort of a, a telling the fish about what water is like. I didn't see it. Um, but then after time passed, I began to um, more readily be able to see some of the things that it was talking about as it talked about instincts run amok. Uh, and then, of course, the, the longer I stayed on the path, the, the clearer my mind got and uh, the more I was able to understand about what was being said. But early on, I kind of I had to put one foot in front of the other, whether I really got it or not. And I'm grateful that I had the support of people around me so that I could do exactly that. You know, I probably would have never embarked on that without the encouragement of people around me that said, this is what's next. You know, you, you've established a faith basis. You are seeking guidance in your life as you move forward. But this is what's next, because the way I had been operating my life out of reaction, out of instincts, out of fear and any number of other things was not working for me. You know, I mean, I was able to stay clean and sober, but I was not having a happy life yet at that point in time. And so, you know, my personal experience, uh, those experiences that led me to the program and then my fourth step allowed me to see that even if I had good intentions, my human instincts and the behavior that resulted from that were out of balance. And so these results were not all good at all. And I had a lot of questions. You know, I had I just had a lot of questions about what does this mean and how do I go forward and all of that. Yeah, because there, I remember, you know, that feeling that sort of so much was changing so quickly in a way, you know, in another way, it felt like uh, no big deal, you know, and not that much was happening. But then again, um, it, it felt like there, there was such a deep shift going on that it was, you know, kind of like an earthquake happens, uh, something moves and it has repercussions through lots of other things, you know, emotions up and down and, um, you know, being irritated one day at a meeting and the next day loving it and knowing it's exactly the right place to be. Um, I know for me, um, and, and, and one, a theme. For me today, as we talk about this, a theme is, and I didn't even know it. So I'm going to put, and I didn't even know it after many statements that I make. And one of them is that my mind was so narrowly focused then, and I didn't even know it. And it took a lot of energy to just to maintain uh, that, you know, that heavy drinking lifestyle. But I didn't even really see it. You know, I didn't know it. I, I had a, an, one instinct that I had that was definitely awry was um, my whole dream in life at that time was to to make it so there was nothing that I had to do, right? My to-do list was empty. My calendar was empty. That was sort of my holy grail uh, of where I wanted my life to go. And that's that's really not... Um, a healthy way to live. It's not realistic, and it caused me, um, you know, no end of trouble. So that that instinct that said, you know what, I just want everyone and everything to leave me alone, and if everyone would just do that, then everything would be fine. Um, that was definitely out of whack. So if your holy grail was leave me alone, <laughs> I want an empty <laughs> calendar. Mine had to be, hmm, how can I get what I want? <laughs> from this situation. And I can remember 
Um, I thought that was just a perfect way to live, you know, that if you were smart enough and you had enough resources at your fingertips and you knew enough people and you could plant enough ideas and you could manipulate enough situations, you could get what you wanted out of life and be happy. And so many, many, many of these uh, things that I came to know as character defects were instincts out of balance. They are a misuse of some of the powers, the 12 powers that we talk about. You know, they're the misuse of persevering, uh, hanging on, continuing to try this when it hasn't ever worked. You know, for example, um, and and there were a lot of things like that, not knowing when to let go, you know, that uh, made my life miserable. But how do I get what I want out of life, whether somebody else got hurt, whether, you know, there was uh, I had to be manipulative about it, whether it was I just abandoned my my uh, my uh, values or morals and ran, you know, those were common themes that I found, you know, that you mentioned themes within this examining um of how did I get here? Who am I? Why do I act like this? What do I really believe? And so much, so much of that for me was fed by codependency, people pleasing. You know, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to believe? And so this was really a, a big eye opener for me to start into this inventory. But I didn't really get what was going on until I shared it with my trusted sponsor because she was far enough away from it, she could see the patterns. I could not. I got lost in the details. Yeah, I, I had that feeling as well that, I, that I'm that i hearing in what you're describing of feeling like, you know, if I wanted something, I had to go kind of wrestle it from the world somehow or other, that uh, I was essentially alone and that uh, I, I definitely did not have a, that sense that I have today um, that uh, as we might here it's said that the universe is conspiring to support me. Uh, I did not have that uh, impression. I had the impression if I want it, I better go get it, and I got to figure out how to go get it. And it's just a matter of um, am I willing to do what needs to be done? Now, there's certainly some truth in that, but that's a good example for me of an instinct out of balance because even though that is one tool that is one way to approach a problem and it's a useful tool to have if that's all that i had you know if i was sort of looking at everything through that one lens then then that's a uh, sign of being out of balance because of all um that i had left out now uh, there's a way i like to think of it now that is a mental image that's helped me a lot to sort of think, well, what is the right way to engage the world? And it's a surfing analogy. I like to surf at the beach during the summer. Um, definitely a weekend, summer, casual um, kind of surfer. But here's what I know about surfing in the ocean. It works really, really well when you work with the energy and the flow of the water that's there. In fact, there's no other way to do it. If you ever try to work against the flow of the water that's there, it's going to kick your butt. You know, water's heavy. And, and the whole point is to, to get in tune with the way nature works. And that leads to wonderful things. Uh, I didn't know that in my life. I felt like, you know, I was, uh, in essence, I was the one fighting the waves, you know, going straight into them and wondering, you know, why doesn't this work? 
I like water analogies. The water analogy that I always used was swimming upstream in a river because, of course, in the Midwest here, we don't have oceans. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been in the current in a river that would sweep me off my feet and that I would try to swim upstream instead of going with the flow. And so learning to go with the flow, I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I didn't know which principle I was um, not adhering to. I didn't have the right sequence. You know, I was getting the cart before the horse sometimes. And, and in all these ways, I found myself crossways the current. And, uh, and my life just wasn't working that well. But I couldn't see that pattern. You know, we talk about the insanity. When we talked about step two, we talk about the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again. You know, and an example I can give is I would be in a relationship and I would think this is the way to make this work. I will be the doormat. I will do anything asked of me anytime, anywhere. And guess what? That didn't work. So the next relationship, I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be the one doing the telling and doing the, the you're going to do this and you're going to do this and we're going to run it my way. And this is the way the house is going to run. That didn't work either. You know, but I kept trying this relationship thing over and over and over again, not knowing what I was doing wrong there and not understanding the principles underneath, not understanding what quote love looks like in a, in a relationship, you know? Yeah. And, and so this insanity kept showing up and making my life not function. I did not understand the patterns that caused that until I did a fourth and fifth step. That's a great example of a, of, of a, a real imbalanced situation. Cause what I'm hearing you say is, uh, and, and I think I can attribute this quote to you, you know, balance is that midpoint that I go flying past as I move from one extreme to the other. And as, as you describe that way, those two ways of being in relationships that just came to mind, you go from one extreme to the other. And, and, you know, I think we've all done it and I do it go flying past that balance point in the middle. I think for me, um, and, and here's more of the, and I didn't even know it, you know, the, the literature talks about being driven by fear. Uh, I was absolutely like that. Didn't even really know it. I was seemingly in a constant, uh, you know, like a constant state of worry. Didn't even really know it. Uh, caring, definitely carrying a lot of unresolved issues. Uh, didn't know it. You know, hindsight is, is 2020. And uh, I've seen that a lot on my recovery path. And so it's hard in the beginning. Um, it was hard for me to be in all of this because I'm subject to all of it, but I was just so unaware of it. So now that we've had a little taste of what this challenge is of our instincts being out of balance, what's the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm that simply knowing the truth is not enough by itself. We must take spiritually informed action in order to grow in recovery. And this is the essence of the fifth unity principle, which states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. So the solution is to move into action, but not just any action. We have to take steps that express the ways our out-of-balance instincts have run our lives and then share that with a trusted advisor because our inventory shows us what we need to change to have a more balanced and fulfilling life. And spiritual mentors, sponsors, um, et cetera, help, us, help direct us to new ways of thinking into action. And so this process of making an honest assessment and then speaking the truth to an, a trusted advisor is what we want to focus on today. And so what is an inventory? You know, it's, it's nothing more than a spiritual measuring stick. You know, it's, it's an honest, clear um, look at who we are, not, not the worst of us, not the best of us, but 
but an honest appraisal. And uh, most spiritual traditions that I'm aware of have a process of this self-inquiry and evaluation. And the result is usually a desire to change our way of being in the world. And so, of course, 12-step programs are no different than that. That's exactly what that process of step four and step five is about. It's to find out who I am. It's not to find out all the bad stuff I did. It's to find out who I am as a person. This is reminding me of um, that that story I've heard told about the golden Buddha. You know, the golden Buddha story where there's this Buddha statue made of mud in a village. And uh, only later do uh, people discover that underneath all that mud, there was a smaller statue that's actually made of solid gold. And so when we when we talk about um, you know the the inventory with all of the difficult, challenging, perhaps we'd call negative uh, things that are on it, you know how how does that uh, as we were talking about earlier jive with um, you know being the light of God? Uh, to me, it's that's because um, that's the that's the mud that we got to uh, you know work through, wash off, what have you, to get to that light, to that gold, if if you will, under underneath it. Well, and that's exactly right because some of it we caused ourselves by our own behavior, and some of it came with our circumstances in life. You know, we didn't we didn't necessarily choose all of those, but we did choose our actions and our reactions and our coping skills and such as they developed. And so all of that mud has got to be, you know, shoveled out <laughs> really. And so, you know, there's there's um, you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, to become the person we're meant to be. And I had all kinds of standards before I got to the fourth step. I had, um, you know, I was aware of the biblical um, ideas of, you know, what is love as is in Corinthians about being patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not proud, etc. And I, I would try to live to that, but that was only changing my behavior. That was not changing what was underneath the belief system or the motives, for example. Uh, the same thing with fruits of the Spirit. How do I know if I'm doing okay? Well, I would look and say, oh, do I have peace? Am I being kind? You know, things that were on that list out of Galatians, and I would go, oh, well, no, I'm not measuring up. Okay, great, but I didn't have an answer to how to change that. I got I got it, you know, F on the scorecard here, <laughs> but, but no tutoring, no tutor to say, and this is how you fix it. And that's what gave, that's what helped me with the 12 steps, you know, was to, because of the spiritual mentoring and the, the people with practical coaching, you know, oh yeah, I had that too. And this is what I did about it. This is how I worked the step on it. This is what the solution was. That's what made the difference for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, me and me as well. You know, I at the time when I was doing this inventory for the first time, you know, I, it was pretty, I was pretty early on, on my recovery path and I didn't have a lot of perspective, you know, my mind was still kind of loopy. Again, I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. And uh, I just kind of moved ahead with some sort of what we'd call blind faith uh, in unity, such so some sort of trust. It's like, well, all these people are saying that this is important and it's it's all written out in this book and at least I can clearly see what it is that we're supposed to do now. How all this is going to work, I have no idea. But I was willing, fortunately, to to move ahead with it, um, just just based on on those things alone, and not based on 
um, any felt sense of yes, this is going to work, or yes, I see how this fits in. I didn't, I didn't have the whole Buddha in the mud thing, you know. I didn't know quite what I was doing. Well, I think that's very common um, because if I knew everything I knew before, would I have started this? Probably not. <laughs> you know, as I can't see to the end of the 500 mile path, you know, and so what do I do? As I focus on where I'm going to put my foot next, you know, because I just can't see the whole path. And so, you know, I had to, I was taught that there are certain principles that, spiritual principles, that when I use those in my life, things turn out better. And the spiritual principle I was told for step four was courage, and for step five is integrity. Courage means to me to take action in spite of fear. And as you already mentioned, I was riddled with 100 forms of fear, and fear was my main motivator for what I did in my life. Fear of, and we've talked about that before, uh, a number of types of fear. And I cannot be in an integrity. I cannot move to an integrity until I can take right action. You know, right action and, and right thought and right being and all of those things, you know. And, and so so this weird space between step four and five, I haven't made any changes yet, but now I know about all this. I'm aware of it. And and then now I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, I, I joke, I remember exactly how long it took me to do my fourth step, three months and 45 minutes. It took three months of avoiding it, putting it off and not doing it. And then, but thinking about it. And then by the time I sat down actually with a pad of paper to do it in 45 minutes later, I had the whole list written out. Um, yeah, that, that's not something that I really uh, wanted to do for me. It was the kind of, you know, hold my breath and forge ahead sort of experience again um having the a real sense that this was important and that uh this is was the right thing to do um but really not knowing exactly how all the pieces fit together and where was this going and why am i doing this and um all of that was in play as well so it just kind of had to take a deep breath and stumble forward on in blind faith that uh, what the people in the community was saying was true. And I found out it was absolutely true. And it's just another, for me, another uh, wonderful example of the power of the community. I keep being blown away by the power of the community. It's made up of people just like you and me and anyone that's listening to this show, uh, just a bunch of uh, regular folks. But when we come together for that single purpose as tremendous power in the group. And I remember sitting in many fourth step and fifth step meetings and gaining um, insight from that because I would find something I was thinking about or writing on my list and it was not something I was wanting to share with anybody and when I did share it, it was going to be with a single person. It wasn't going to be in public at the table. But yet I heard people sharing about these these situations that um, I would otherwise think you'd want to keep private and laughing. And I, I didn't get it, you know, but I, but I came to understand that as you had just referred to earlier, perspective changed, you know, and I think the perspective that changed was that the mistakes that were made and, and the things that were done under the influence of either a uh, mind altering substance or uh, an erroneous idea of some type, those, the perspective changed. And, and now it was not seen as a definition of who I am. And that's one of the big things I got out of the fourth and fifth step is this is not who I am. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
and that is challenging again for the same thing we were talking about a few minutes ago is you know if if i'm inherently good as our uh, second principle states then then what is all this stuff that i got to work through why do i need to look at all this why is it even there um you know the answer is is because we've covered you know we've covered up we've blocked that light um, by our um, mistaken ideas and our behaviors that come from those mistaken ideas. And one thing that I have had found challenging and still do not as much, but still do to some extent is that part of the question that says, well, what's your part in this? Like, well, what do you mean? What's my part in that person being really abusive toward me? What's my part in that? Well, it's not asking or implying that I did something to cause that person to do it. It's what, where, where did my mind go afterward? You know, what, what meaning did I create after the situation? That's my part in it. Is what, it's another way of saying, what is my response to that? What ideas did I carry forward from that point? You know, what mistakes might I have made because of those ideas that I carried forward from that point? It, it, there's, it's really... The, the concept of taking responsibility but not assigning blame is very challenging, I think. But it's essential to what we're doing here because I can take responsibility for my situation and neither assign blame to me or someone else or some situation. Just forget about that. It's just what's going on and what, what is my part in this? What is mine to do? What is it? What meaning have I created? And out of that meaning come patterns for me, because that's that's the repetition in my life. I, I had an experience at nine years. I had searched and searched and searched for what is my part in this in an abusive situation in my childhood? What is my part in this? I was a kid. I, what is my part in this? You know, and I could not come up with this did not make sense to me. But one time, and I was in a meeting, and it was on, I don't know, the sixth step or something like that, but we were talking about this, and it came to me. What my part in in that situation was is the same part I had in many other relationships, and that is I put somebody on a pedestal, and when they fell off, I continued to believe in them. I pretended they didn't fall, you know, that they, they I did not give them the right to be human. And by doing so, I bought into knowingly or unknowingly, I bought into stories, belief systems, behaviors, all those kind of things. And, and all of a sudden, with a great deal of clarity, I could see, oh, that was my part in that. Why, why do it, did I have that at a young age? I don't know the why of it, but I know that that was the mechanics of it. I, I worshiped the ground this person walked on, and that set me up because they were on a pedestal and could do no wrong. So anything they did had to be okay. And that was a belief system I had to examine. Yeah, that's a really good example of um, the, the, kind of the, a, a place that our minds can go uh, in a situation. Because we, you know, as human beings, we are inherently meaning-making creatures. And so everything that happens to us, everything that we observe, we will make, I will make some meaning out of. And um, for me, the question of what's my part in it, again, comes down to, you know, what, what meaning have I created? And therefore, then what uh, continued trouble might that have made? So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll open the phone lines for callers and we'll continue our conversation. The number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Daily Word has developed beautiful card decks to support your spiritual journey. One deck is about healing. Another is about finding peace in troubled times. And the family cards are two decks, one for parents and one that can be colored on for children, so families can talk about spiritual principles together. The card decks are available from Unity. Go to unity.org, then click on Shop or call 1-800-24-UNITY Monday through Friday. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org slash shop. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. 
Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So just prior to the break, we were discussing this concept of, of uh, spiritual inventory and behavioral inventory and how that plays in and how do we find what our part is and, and why would we even want to to share that with somebody. So, Dan, we know that this challenge is our instincts being way out of balance, and the solution is to share an honest assessment of ourselves with a trusted advisor. But how does that help us move forward from the darkness into the light, and what does that mean? For me, the answer is that, or is based on what I have come to understand, that I I cannot... I cannot heal something or something cannot be healed if I am unaware of it. And the step one of any kind of healing in in a spiritual sense is that I become aware of what's going on. And so, um, you know, my, my favorite analogy from the natural world is that, you know, mold and mildew tend to grow in the dark corners where there's no light. Right. And, but if, if we change that and we, when we pull that out into the light, those things cannot, uh, continue. They can't grow in the light. They only grow in the darkness. Another way I've heard that described is our, our secrets run our lives. And so my best explanation and understanding for, you know, exactly how does this, um, spiritual inventory and then sharing it with another person, how exactly does this work? Well, it helps us bring things into the light so that they can begin to be healed. And it comes down, I think, to just the power of awareness. You know, even our, our meditation practices, uh, often are really, uh, just a regular, uh, times when we choose to become aware of what is going on. Because uh, if I'm unaware of the patterns of my mind, then they're likely just to simply continue. And I can become aware of them by putting them down on a piece of paper clearly, uh, sharing them with someone else, uh, because that other person, no doubt, will be seeing things that I'm not seeing and could help me to uh, even better uh, be aware of what's going on. So awareness leads to healing. That's what it comes down to for me. I like that a lot. Um, You know, I was reminded that I was told, I don't remember what class now, to just notice something. And I use that a lot with with people. Um, Just notice how many times a day or a week or a month your words and actions don't match. Just notice how many times you do something and then later go, oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, because by just noticing, beginning to become aware, things change. You know, as as you said, when it's in the light, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't grow anymore and it, it starts to recede and we start to seek other ways of being in the world. And for me, it's not just with um, um, that that type of thing, a behavior. It's also with patterns of thought. It's also with my belief systems, you know, and I, and I cannot uh, always see those. So sharing it for me brings some accountability because somebody else knows it now. They're going to call me out on it. They're going to be able to say, um, I thought you said you weren't going to do that anymore. Or that sounds a lot like the same thing you said two weeks ago. Are, you know, let's talk about this, this particular belief system. Um, I know that uh, one of my teachers in seminary said it's our unexamined, um, unconscious beliefs that drive our lives. And so that is is something that I have to become aware of. And so this perspective that you talk about, somebody else knowing, I have a story for that. 
again, based on my fourth step, I was relating my my uh, relationship history to my sponsor. And I talked it over and over and over and over, you know, told the whole thing and through like five people or something like that. And when I got done, she said, are you aware? Because I was focused on the behavior, you know, as I was saying, all or none, all or none. I was focused on the behavior. She said, are you aware that you emotionally abandon a relationship and get in a new relationship before you are physically out of the old relationship? I could, she could have knocked me over with a feather. No, I was not aware of that. I could not see that pattern. She could see that pattern. And had I not shared that with her, there would have been no way for me to become aware of that. Yeah, you would not have been able to notice that without the assistance of someone else who saw it and helped you to see it. Sounds like it didn't take much either. It was right there. <laughs> you were ready to see it. Yeah. Because uh, when it was pointed out, it was it, from what you just said, it was clear as day. I think there's so much power to that that word notice that you used. Notice how many times you do this. Notice uh, what you do when you feel like that. Um, I, I, I'm a I'm a person that historically uh, I place a great value on understanding how things work. That was kind of my whole my whole approach to the world. Um, has always been that if I can just understand how this works, then I can be okay in the world because I can avoid the uncomfortable parts. I can uh, make things uh, go the way I would like them to go because I understand how it works. But this is a, uh, you know, when we start to get into spiritual principles and uh, particularly how we're applying them in addiction recovery, like uh, answering that question, you know, why is it that looking at all this stuff and then sharing it with someone else, you know, why does that work? How does that work? And it, it took, I had to set aside uh, some of that need to understand and then just go with what you were saying, just notice, notice how it worked. And I am by nature a very skeptical uh, person. You know, if someone tells me that, you know, this, uh, this new essential oil is going to solve this problem. My first reaction is, mm-hmm, yeah, we'll <laughs> see about that. Really? Uh, and I, I mean, I'm willing to stay open and hear about things, but I don't immediately assume that what I've, what I'm being told is true. You know, it's important to me to be able to distinguish what's true from what's not true and to understand things and all that. But I have to tell you, um, I've had to learn to set all that aside because, um, that, you know, what's that saying that the, uh, basically I'll paraphrase it, that we can't solve a problem at the same level of consciousness that created it. And so, you know, I created a lot of uh, challenges for myself by sort of being a, a one trick pony, you know, if I'm a hammer, everything's a nail. Uh, and so I've had to add to my um, skill set in a way. Now, I, I still have all those highly developed skills and, and they're powerful and they're important, but they're not the only uh, approach that I have now. But, you know, being very skeptical, I sort of had to um, learn to just step, you know, step out and, and trust some things, even when they didn't seem to make sense, if only to experience them personally and think, okay, well, you know, I'll do this and then I'll know a lot more about it just from doing it. And I'll, I'll check in again at that point, rather than um, saying to myself, I'm not even going to start this if I don't understand how it ends, which is uh, a way that I 
uh, approach the world for many years. Yeah, that's a hallmark of people that are uh, beginning the path on step two is we're still fighting everything. You know, we've not developed enough faith to, to say, well, maybe it could be true. Well, maybe they've got something here. Well, maybe they could be right. Well, maybe there's another way. You know, we haven't developed that open mindedness. And between step three and step four, we have to develop willingness, you know, and I say for many many things. First, I had to be open-minded to consider there might be another way. And then I had to become willing. Well, I always thought like everything else, willing is all or none. Nope, not willing. Or, okay, yeah, 100%, let's go. And for me, the path is a whole lot more like I'm 51.1% willing. <laughs> you know, I still have a lot of reservations. I'm still kind of skeptical. I still don't think it's going to work. I've made some judgments about it, but I'll stick my toe in the water. I have found this to be uh, a slow process over time, which was another thing that, uh, especially in the past, had been challenging for me, not quite as much now. But, you know, like like many of us, and I've heard from so many other people, we I, I walk into the recovery program uh, thinking, okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out. I'm a successful person. I'll get this wired and and sorted, and then uh, then I'll be okay, and then I'll move on with my life. You know, not not realizing that the kinds of tools that we're learning as we go through the the steps, one foot in front of the other, of taking the actions uh, that are uh, prescribed, if you will, in a twelve step program. Um, that it doesn't happen quickly, that it's not a matter of being done. And, you know, the, the idea that all of this um, unfolds slowly over time used to be very troubling to me. It's not so much anymore, uh, even though I still, um, I can still be impatient at times and sort of, you know, want, want the pizza to be cooked already right when I put it in the oven. Um, but in general, I, I, I suppose I've, been walking this path long enough to see so many wonderful things come out of it that I'm no longer in a hurry for it to be over. And when we talk about taking a spiritual inventory and sharing it uh, with another person, that was, you know, the first time I did that was a really important step toward what has become an ongoing practice of um, of honesty and sharing and connection, right? So instead of um, being more isolated, not wanting to look at things, certainly not wanting to talk about them, um, I've developed uh, healthier habits that say, okay, well, I, I am willing to look at what's going on and I am willing to share what's going on because it doesn't define me anymore. It's just, you know, it's just a way that I am or the way a way that I've been. It is not who I am. And so I can walk through it that way. But, you know, slow time takes time, we say. Slow, slow progress over time has been a hallmark of all this for me. Yes, that is exactly right. And, you know, I was given a real gift with, with the first person that worked with me in the 12-step in the program. She said, you know, your life has been like a, an empty garage. You just keep throwing junk in there and slamming the door. She said, starting today... You don't have to do that anymore. Starting today, she said, she started me on the 10th step, which is a daily inventory. She said, starting today, you are aware that you have judgmental, uh, a judgmental attitude. You are aware that you are unwilling a lot. You are aware of this, this, and that. And she said, starting today, you can notice when that happens and then change your behavior 
instead of acting on the way that you're feeling about it. And and that has been such a helpful thing to me. She said, you don't have to throw anything else in the garage. We'll get that cleaned out. But right now, you know, you have your list. And, and you know, because I'm waiting to get through the rest of the process to make amends and be done with my past, she said, don't make any more past. Yeah, if if you're if you find yourself at the bottom of a hole, at least quit digging, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> at least quit throwing more things in the garage. And well, well, I like that analogy a lot. I can see that. Uh, you know, we can deal with that over time. Um, this is reminding me of a uh, you know one definition of or one way of understanding addiction is the the loss of the power of choice. And uh, that absolutely rings true for me. And as we take these steps, as we become willing uh, to do what we need to do in order to recover, including uh, making our inventory, sharing it with a a sponsor or trusted advisor, um, we slowly, through awareness, we slowly regain uh, the power of choice. And so I was I was kind of hearing that in, in your analogy with the garage, because in, in my own experience, I personalize it. I've had those garages. Um, I just throw, you know, that was kind of my only solution was to, well, I'll, I'll put it in here and deal with it later. Um, and when I became able to say, well, in, instead of only having one solution, throw it in the garage, deal with it later, uh, Maybe there's something different that I could do. I, I too stopped throwing things in the garage and lo and behold, you know, a- after uh, w- enough one foot in front of the other, enough one day at a time, enough uh, doing the next right thing, um, all that garage got cleaned down. Not only did I stop throwing stuff in it, um, I was able to get a bunch of crap out of it as well. So just regaining the power of choice, you know, having options is extraordinarily powerful. And I think that that is a real gift of recovery and and a gift of this program. You know, and and it's interesting you bring that up. The power of choice is known in the 12 powers as the power of will, you know, our ability to, and we think about being willful and not having any willpower and all those kind of things. We've talked about that another time, but that power of choice is when things change. When we decide that we want to do something different, think something different, be something different in the world. And, you know, it reminds me of our third principle. Um, and I paraphrase that. It's, you know, um, I paraphrase that to say what you focus on grows. You know, if I'm yeah. going to focus on all the bad stuff, if I'm going to focus on getting what I want, if I'm going to focus on all these other things like that, then nothing's going to change. But if I focus on, oh, I noticed this and I want to do something different. I noticed this and I don't like that. I noticed this. I want to do that again tomorrow because that worked for me, you know, whether whatever it was that I was guided to do. And that brings in some of the other 12 powers, you know, like like the power of of strength, you know, being able to keep keep on, keep it on, you know, do it again. It worked. Do it again. Well, that didn't work, but do do the next right thing, you know, to, to put things in sequence and to continue. Now, I didn't know this when I was early on in 12 step, but I can see it pretty clearly now that. It was the choice that I made was a different way to use these powers. Yeah, they were. They have been there the whole time. And again, like we uh, opened the show talking about the challenge of having 
instincts that are out of balance. There's nothing inherently wrong, and the literature points this out, there's nothing inherently wrong with each of the human instincts that we have. The problem is that if they're, if we use them sort of out of proportion with one another, so it, it's just like the 12 powers, um, each power is 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 neither good nor bad, or I might call them all good, but I can use them in ways that are um, skillful or skillful or unskillful. Um, to use some terms from Eastern traditions, uh, what you were talking about is reminding me of of what our listeners might know as the law of attraction. You know that that idea that says that. Um, thoughts held in mind reproduce after their kind. Now, we've talked before about how fortunately, uh, you know, a single thought isn't going to uh, bring about whatever it is, but it's patterns of thought, ingrained patterns of thought, which which become ways of seeing, you know, ways of being, belief systems. They start to drive um, outcomes. And so by doing this kind of work, we can shift. We come to that I've heard it uh, described as that point of integrity, you know, that point where before there was no choice, now all of a sudden there is a choice. What am I going to choose? You know, I have to I have to choose the other path or I'll just continue with the same outcomes. So that point of in, of integrity that allows me to begin to develop new habits, you know, new ways of being in the world. And again, slowly over time, one day at a time, one foot in front of the other, uh, things change, and and they and they change in in wonderful ways. Um, that that's been my experience with it. I'm just so very grateful um, for the ability to work with others in this. And again, I always will um, talk about the wonderful power of the community, which fits in here as well. And you mentioned that point of integrity, um, you know, which which is very closely associated in my mind with um, authenticity. You know, there's there's a there's a nuance there that I don't really want to go into at this point, but we hear in unity circles, we hear talk about authenticity a lot. I can be very authentic though in my former self because I I don't I don't see my I don't have I've got blind spots. I can't see all the spots where I'm stepping on somebody else's toes, you know, or where I'm repeating patterns and things like that. And so for me I think integrity um, steps it up a notch. You know, it's not just who I say I am, it's how I show up and it's that it's all according to a set of principles in my mind. Um, I could be authentic without adhering to a set of principles, I think. Um, but anyway, so I was thinking about that because it, this, the um, second principle talks about how we're made in the image and likeness of God and that we are inherently good and that we have the spark of divinity within us. And I've just done this inventory and I'm going, yeah, but it doesn't sound like that to me, you know, and that's the clearing away of the mud. You know, I, I, can, I can see how, why, where, when I did these things and a solution to fix many of those things. And I don't have to define myself by those any longer. Yeah, we do hear about authenticity a lot, and 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 I even for me personally, it's been it's been really important because it has been one of the only things. And this is again a gift of um, of recovery, a gift of working the program. Is that you know, as I went into um, church ministry, um, not really being, I'll say, particularly good 
at getting up in front of a group and talking, at least I can be authentic. I, I got that somewhere along the line. It reminds me of um, the, the story from the Hebrew Bible where uh, I'll paraphrase it real quick. So God says, Moses, uh, you're the one that's going to go uh, save the people. And Moses says, basically, um, uh, you know, I'm not really good at talking. And so I don't, and God Nope, I'll tell you what to say. You're the one. And so I realized if I don't yet know how to be a super engaging and entertaining speaker, at least I'll go up there and I will be authentically boring, right? If I'm going to be boring, <laughs> it's it's going to be tied to the core of who I am, which just means it's um, out of touch with the context, right? You don't want to get up and teach a grammar lesson uh, in front of a church community. We want to um, inspire and tell stories of our lives and talk about principles and how they've worked, et cetera. But at least... I, I knew who I was and I could get up and be who I was and then build from there. And I think that that's something that um, can be very powerful in our recovery as well. It's sort of like you're saying, I can authentically be a jerk if I'm in a bad mood and it's like, hey, I'm, I'm expressing very uh, clearly and I'm not pretending to be something that I'm not. I'm irritated and it's coming through loud and clear because I'm being authentic. Uh, you know, I... I, I can't call that bad. I, I don't want. I don't want to interact with the world that way, um, all the time. Of course, but there's something really powerful about being able to be true to how, who one really is. Because uh, at least then, uh, you know, in my experience with speaking, I have something to build on. Well, and I think it all starts with that word we were talking about earlier: willingness. You know, willingness to show up who you are as who you are. That's what I'm hearing, and I think that that's where where um, you know, for me, integrity also marries up with that. So, you know, I think I think for me the, to wrap a piece around this is that I didn't really know who I was, what I thought, what I believed, and I was pretty much driven by these uh, out-of-balance instincts and my perception of what the world wanted from me, my codependency. That um, and, and after my fourth and fifth step, I got a much clearer picture, much better perspective of who I was in the world and the opportunity as we move on next week to step six and seven, the opportunity to decide what I wanted to change, if anything. Yeah, I think for me, if I could sum up this whole part of our spiritual development, it's, it's that, you know, w when I was... Uh, living, quote, in the darkness, meaning unaware of what was going on. Um, it's been a process of, of honesty, kind of what you're saying, and being willing to, um, to put one foot in front of the other, to be part of the community and to show up each day and to see what happens. And so this fourth and fifth step, this motion, you know, using uh, the, the ideas of courage and integrity to move from the darkness to the light, it's, it's a one day at a time kind of thing and it does work. So we're at that point where we need to talk about moving into action. Yeah, so let's now move into action. And as we've talked about, Today, Unity's fifth principle does state, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them, which means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something, if you're listening, you can do this week, uh, today even, to move from darkness to light with courage and integrity. So hold a vision, just imagine, 
in your mind's eye what your life will be like when your instincts come into perfect balance. Think about how joyous and free you will feel. And take that feeling, even if you feel like you just have to make it up, that's fine. That's how it works. Take that feeling into a quiet time of prayer and meditation and simply relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. And just picture yourself in that place, happy and free. And then use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to this experience of being out of balance. You could say something like, mistakes of the past have no power over me. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud and say it with conviction. Mistakes of the past have no power over me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I am growing and changing each moment as the spirit within illuminates my path forward. So then take a few quiet moments and relax. Just take it easy and realize that there's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Again, the denial, mistakes of the past have no power over me. And that affirmation, I am growing and changing each moment as the spirit within illuminates my path forward. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something to help you on your recovery path. We both bless you on your journey. So thank you to listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights that we shared in our discussion today. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. Uh, We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.